Welcome to the Crave Magazine Podcast, feeding your soul with art. What is life if you don't have art? Give your art to the world because the world needs that. Embrace mentors. Look at the people who have already done what you've done. If you have enough discipline and enough focus, then you're able to achieve what you want to achieve. Sometimes you have to stand out to fit in. Hello, my interweb friends. Please stay tuned till after the podcast for an incredible offer from Crave Magazine and the Adams Mystery Playhouse. All right, I'm here with Nick Guida with the Adams Mystery Playhouse. He's been a part of the Mystery Playhouse family for almost 20 years. Nick is an actor, a playwright, and a director since the beginning, even before there was an actual playhouse, which the Adams Mystery Playhouse just celebrated their 10th anniversary. They opened their doors here at their current location in Denver 10 years ago, last October. The Adams Mystery Playhouse is the only full-time playhouse in Colorado, hosting weekly shows along with special events and private parties. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, we always start off the podcast with an inspiration, something that inspires you, whether it be an inspiring quote or an inspiring piece of art or artist, something that kind of resonates with you. Inspired me to do this or uh, just inspired me? Just in general, something that inspires you. That's a good question. That's a, that's a very deep question. I don't know. I mean, I always I started off getting inspired by old movies, and I think I still have that a little bit. A lot of different quotes I like. None of them are coming to my <laughs> to my mind right at the moment. There's some good ones from the Wild Bunch, but anyway. <laughs> but I, you know, I started. I got I, I got inspired. I, I would have to say I got inspired to do to do what I'm doing now uh, from when I was a kid watching old movies, and that's how I got started or inspired. And I probably still am. What, what type of genre movies are your favorite? Well, comedies probably. Um, I've always, always been a big fan of the Marx Brothers, and in Groucho in particular, and I think that carries on today for you know what we do here. I mean, that's my biggest... That was probably one of my biggest influences was Groucho Marx. You know, I think here, when I'm here on the weekends, I get to be Groucho Marx a lot of times, so I, I love that. You know, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of fun. Comedy is what, over the years of acting... You know, starting off as a, a, a an actor, I've you know I've done all kinds of things, but it's you know led me down the path to where comedy is what I enjoy the comedy most. is where your heart is. Yeah, and I, hopefully I'm the best. You know, that's what I do best. Those yeah. I enjoy it. I, do, I, I certainly enjoy it. Yeah. Um, well, why don't we back up a little bit? Tell us a little bit about, um, if you will, your story, how you got started in. in acting, and then specifically with the Adam's Mystery Playhouse, your involvement. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, my acting story is very dull. I mean, I just, you know, I wanted to be an actor and never really, you know, I just, I mainly did plays. I mean, I never really got very far. (laughs) It's not the greatest success story in the world. But, you know, I acted for, for, I don't know, 20 years before I I ended up here, uh, doing all kinds, you know, doing Shakespeare and Musical dinner, th- you know, not dinner theater, but musical theater, and you know, we I made I made a couple of independent films, one that I'm actually quite proud of, um, and so basically I was out of work. <laughs> I got I got a, a I got a day job with Marn Marn Wills Quayock, who's the owner of Adams Mystery Playhouse, working for her during the day, in her office, <laughs> and uh, it's it's kind of. She loves to tell the story. I don't know. Sometimes I don't think it's the greatest story. But I just started doing the shows with her, and it, and it evolved from there. So it was a complete fluke that I ever did these. I mean, it was just this, you know, I'm an actor, and and, uh, and I started doing them. And then it just snowballed from there. Because in the beginning, when I first started with Martin, there was, there was really one, well, there were a couple of shows, but there was a main show that was called Death for Dinner that she wrote in around 1990 that was primarily done for corporations. And then at a certain point, before I, 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 I met Marn, because and, and, um, her husband, Carlos, hadn't really joined the business completely at that point. But they were doing them for the public. They rented this place, and they did them once or twice a month. So for a lot of years, they did this one show called Death for Dinner. You know, there were a couple of other ones. But when I came, when I, about the time I came along, started doing writing new shows. There, they had a couple of other ones, but the main show was Death for Dinner, but it was after, after I was here for a couple of years, uh, we started writing other shows, and, and then I got to write more and more of the shows, and then it just, it just kind of evolved from there. And then when they bought this place, 
because before this place, they were doing, we were doing them like, we were doing it with this other place like twice a month, and she bought this place, and she said, we're going to do them every weekend. I said, you're crazy. We could barely, twice a month, we did them, you know, we're crazy. I don't know, within six months, it took off. I mean, it almost, it almost instantly took off. But I was like, no way. There's no way we're going to be able to do them every week. We could barely get, you know, we could barely get crowds twice a month. <laughs> she was like, and she does that a lot. We're going to, you know, it's the, we're, she's sort of the crazy idea. And I'm like, it will never work. And it usually works. And it works. <laughs> it almost always works. <laughs> but I'm always like, no, it's not going to. But anyway, I don't even know if I answered your question. No, you did. You frankly. <laughs> but you, that's how it just sort of, it just kind of started off with nothing. I mean, for me, like, you know, that I would, you know, when I started working for Martin to think, Back then, I would have never thought I'd be here 20 years later doing this full time. It just, but it, it just, you know, snowballed. And especially since this place, I mean, this is, I, I loved it when we moved in here. This really, this was really the change in the last 10 years. Turned it into a legitimate theater and was our own location. She, you know, they own it. We I mentioned Carlos briefly, but Carlos is her husband. So right about the time I joined, he, he joined the, he'd been kind of working with her, but he wasn't really in the company, he had another job. So the two of them together, bought this place to, to you know put it this way they control it see when other you know when we were at this other place we didn't control it we were renting it you can have it this you can do that to it well she, you know as soon as this was hers you know this is what I'm doing this is what they're doing and it's just taken off and was this location an, a house originally this was actually yeah it was originally this was originally built in the turn of you know like the late 1800s and it was the John, no, not John, William, William Simpson. I almost mentioned a, ri- a rival name. <laughs> William Simpson, because we have a room called the William Simpson Room. And I can't remember what kind of business he was in. And there's, there's a record of it somewhere. But So it started off as a house, but in 1930 or the early 1930s, a, a guy, um, his last name, I can't think of what his first name is. The guy bought it and turned it into a mortuary. So from about 1930... Till about two years before Lauren and Carlos bought it, it was a mortuary. It was a, you know, this was actually the room, not that, not that we're on television, we're on a podcast, but this is the room where they used to uh, um, show the coffins, I think. Yeah, this was where the coffins yeah. used to be. And right through that wall was the, embal- the next, was the embalming room, which is, not, which is not the kitchen. And Everybody loves that story. So. Do you ever get the presence of... You know, I don't, but there's actually been a couple of, you know, other people, uh, I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily a believer, but a lot of people have. I mean, some of the, you know, and it's, I mean, it's funny to me, probably not to these other people, but there's this one actress when we were, we were at this other location, and then we moved here, and we were doing rehearsal here, and she said to me, she goes, um, do you like this place? And I said, yeah, it's fine. She goes, I don't like it here. And I said, why? And she said, she thinks that something followed her home from here. A spirit, <laughs> a spirit followed her home, and she had, she had these big dogs, and this they were like uh, huskies or these huge dogs, and apparently one of the right after this, when she thought something followed her home to haunt her house, this one dog, every night would sit at the top of the stairs and growl, and so she's sure something followed her home from here, <laughs> and there was, <laughs> could have been, and there was another, there was another, there was this lock right across from my office, there was this. It was a closet door and it had this lock on it. And and this happened all the time. You'd just be sitting there and the lock would go, <laughs> it would just, it, and it was it was weird. And it was, I was in the kitchen one night, right next to the kitchen, and I'm standing there talking to an actor and it did the, <laughs> and he goes, what was that? And I go, that was the ghost. And he about, you know, he just turned. But anyway, then it went away. I don't know, I don't know why, but it went away. But when we first moved in, that lock used to do that all the time. And then it stopped. So there are stories, but I, I, I never, I never, there, you know, one of my, one of my favorite, I'm sorry, I hope I'll just make my last story. No, go, ahead, doing, go ahead, They did a few, few years ago, a couple years ago, Peter Boyle did a, a broadcast here on Halloween, and he brought in the ghost hunters, and they spent the night here, and the whole thing was, is the place haunted? So it used to be a mortuary, and, and it was a family mortuary, it was the day mortuary, and the two sisters are still alive. One still lives in town. Her name is Pat Day. So, and she's always the special guest. So, so they bring. So he's doing the, and you know, he's uh, he's doing the, the broadcast. And one 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 of our actors showed up because he loves the spotlight to, you know, 
what did you ever encounter? And he's telling the story. So they bring they bring in Pat Day, and so you know, Peter Boyle is there. He's like you know salivating. So tell us, growing up here, did you ever experience anything weird? And she goes, No, no, we just had such a happy childhood here. <laughs> and it, was, it was like so. He wanted the. And she's like, No, no, just fun, great memories. <laughs> so, so it depends on who you talk to. So it seems like the uh, spirits of the mortuary have been appeased by the comedy that goes <laughs> on <guess>. here. <laughs> I've never first. The block is the closest I ever came to that, and that did happen. When we first when we first took over the building, that used to happen. Like on a Marn will tell you, it used to happen on a regular basis. There's because one there's another guy that works here. He's a psychic, and he very, takes himself very seriously. Well, I shouldn't say that because he won't listen to the podcast. But, <laughs> but anyway, he was very fascinated by the story of the lock. Yeah, you know. And then we've had we've had other people come in with their people have found orbs. You know, they take the pictures. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think that's the focus of this place, but people are, when they find out it's a mortuary, they're just, everybody's fascinated by, is it haunted? Do you oh, have sure. any stories? Yeah, that was the first question I got. <laughs> what about the name Adam's Mystery Playhouse? Where did that come from? Well, see, this one is pure, it's so commercial. They came, wanted to come up with something, so they, this is a true story, so they show up first in the phone book. And, yeah. and so they were doing it off the Adams family, but the Adams family is a double D. So they just picked it. There was another partner in the very, very, very early stages, and, and he really pushed that name. And I don't think Marn, you know, was really in love with it, but they, they went along with it. But it was the, it was the old, it was the old business ploy at first in the phone book. That's how they came up with it. Hey, yeah, and that used to work. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, it was interesting. There's a picture upstairs. I can't remember who the guy was. Somebody who did the decor. You know, they've got all this haunted decor. Knew the actress who played Marilyn on the Munsters. So we didn't get the Adams family. So we got Marilyn from the Munsters to come over and sign a picture. I, don't, I thought I had an Adams family story, but then it turns out that was the Munsters. Munsters. That's but okay. anyway, but that's, but that's how that... It was sort of a combination of, of, uh, of First in the Phone Book and the Adams family. That's how they just came up with the name. But in, you know, in, my, in my mind, it, the name, <laughs> considering what we are and what we do in Martin's history and stuff, the name has almost no significance at all. You know, it's just this name they pulled out of the just hat. Just the name. Yeah, and it, you know, and of course now because you know it is very, we are very successful. I mean, we just came off of just this killer December, and it's still going. You know, now it's no way they'll ever change the name. I mean, that's now it's established. Sure, absolutely. but those it's interesting. I mean, I, I mean, it's interesting to me because those are the haunted. There are certain questions that everybody, you know, just human nature. Why do you call it that? What you know. So you end up, I, I think people that do interviews, real celebrities, get tired of repetitive questions. But I, I find it kind of interesting that people are kind of, or not fascinated, but, you know, curious about a lot of the same things. Sure. You know? Oh, yeah. We kind of have all the same. Yeah. Why is, why? Design, you know? I don't know. So, and so you answer the same question over and over. Who cares? You know? well, well, how about this? What are some uh, challenges that you guys have faced along the way? You said that you had a really successful beginning once it started to take off, but mm-hmm. over the past 10 years, have there any well, challenges? You know, I mean, the challenges, if I may use a, compare a story, I made a, uh, I early on made this independent film, and I was at the Taos Film Festival, and they kept, and we were doing a talk back, and they kept asking questions, and for whatever reason, I was always the first one in line. So I would do the question, and then everybody else would get to think about their question. So I would just answer the first thing that came to my mind. And they asked me about what was the hardest thing about making the movie, and I said, raising money. And then everyone else came up with these artistic questions or uh, answers. And I said, no, that's, that was the best part of making the movie were all those challenges. The worst part was, was the money, coming up with the money. Right. So I would say the worst, the cha- not worst, but the challenges we face here are those kind of things, like the day-to-day running of the business. Any, any challenges that I have ever encountered artistically or we have, I love those. That's why you do it. Yeah. Figuring, you know, writing a new show, making it different. But so the biggest challenges in my mind, you know, is just the day-to-day monotony. You know, I shouldn't say monotony, but the, you know, just the, you the know, they had to, they they came in and they decided they had to put in this sprinkler system, which was just, you know, that's part of it right there. Just huge, huge expense. Right now they're going through the guy was here today. They're going through you know new air conditioning. You know, so that's the kind of that's the that's the unpleasant part of the business. Sure. And then we get to go down at six o'clock. And come about seven thirty, the laughs start, and 
you know, who cares? <laughs> that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, it right? does. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, whenever I've done anything as a performer or writer, director, any of the artistic part of it, creative, I shouldn't say artistic, that sounds pompous. Creative sounds a little less pompous than artistic. <laughs> but the creative part and the challenging, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this shot work? Or how are we going to make this show different? That, that's, that's why you do it, you know. I mean, if it was all the, if there was no challenge to it, you would just keep doing the same thing over and over again. You know, I, I mean, I love doing this because every night we get to go out and it'll go south in a good way because of the audience. You know, you start, so, you know what, I, I don't know what the percentage is, you know, 40, 50 percent we do every night and 50 percent you make, you know, is, is ad lib that night because of, of the crowd. And it's the greatest, you know, it's the greatest thing in the world because then, you know, every night's different. Some nights, unfortunately, perhaps as pleasant as others, but I mean, that's what I like about, you know, it's like what I'm saying, that's, for, to me, that's what I like about the creativity of things. If I was just doing a 20-year run of, of a chorus line, you know, I'd be happy uh, financially, and I'd be on Broadway, but I, God, that would get boring, yeah. doing the same, you know, so it's a, you know, not only, so not only is it different every night because of the audience, then we're switching out the shows, you know, and, and I get to write a lot of those shows, so then I get to come up with a new you know, uh, we just finished a, a, a pirate show, which was the second pirate show I had written. Now we're doing a, a, show, a show called Irish Wake, and then we're switching out again. So not only is it different with the audience, we, you know, it started the business, so I'm not knocking Death for Dinner. But that was one of the things at the beginning. It was like, oh, God, I'm so sick of Death for Dinner. It was just because that's all we did. Right. You know, that's all, you know, it wasn't like there's anything wrong with Death for Dinner. It was just like, oh, you know. But now it's great. I mean, that's part of the success of the business is because people keep coming back. They want to need see a new show. No, I saw that one. What's your What's your new show? Right, right. Do you have any memories of something that either went really, really well during a show, or something that went really, really horribly wrong that that stand out in your mind? Oh, I have, I have like the. It's, I don't see. You never know if it'll translate, but I have like the horror, the worst. Most of the worst experiences are on corporate events, because or private, not even necessarily corporate. Because the public shows people have paid their whatever, whatever the going rate is, to be here. And they want to be here. Well, a lot of times at the private shows, somebody set this up. They think it's a great idea. And if the rest of the people don't think it's a great idea, you know, it can be horrible. And we went on <laughs> this one, and I won't mention the last name, but it was a, there was a connection to the, to, to the owner. And it was a bar mitzvah. And the kid was a really nice kid. But we were down at Coors Field. And it was a bunch of 13-year-old boys that were out of control and parents that didn't care. <laughs> and, I mean, it was just everything that could go wrong in the show. One of the actresses who's great, great comedian, really nice person, but a little high-strung, she's there, and the show's just going horribly, and she looks out into the audience, and there's an agent there that she just auditioned for. So she's just all beside herself that the agent's now gonna not going to going to represent her because of the show <laughs> with all these kids screaming and they stopped it in the middle of the show the, the, and the parents were going through a divorce so they hated each other during <laughs> and it's just I mean everything's going wrong but the best part that was going wrong for me was my very good friend of mine we're doing the, the, the investigation and these kids are screaming and Martin's on the show and I know I gotta push the show through so I go to this one character CJ CJ nothing CJ's He's at the back of the room in the bar <laughs> watching TV during the <laughs> middle of the show. And I'm screaming at him. Oh, it was just, they stopped, the, the, the husband stopped the show in the middle of this kid. It was this kid's 13th bar mitzvah. Stopped in the show to present this kid with this present. And he unwraps it. It was like this marble, it was like a four foot tall marble fish. <laughs> <laughs> he's given this 13-year-old boy for his birth. I mean, it was just like, I left that show so angry, you know. I was just so, it was just horrible. So there have been a few. There, there, was, there, there were a couple here recently. There was one here in December recently that was a horrible cor corporate show. But it's, 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 it's a, a much, much more uh, rare that a public show, you leave the public show mad or that one horribly, but those private ones, they can be, but that, and I can't mention the last name, but everybody that works here with me, if, you know, you say, 
question of, well, that was a rough night, and they would say, well, how did it rate compared to the blank bar mitzvah? That was, <laughs> that's, that's, the like bar the, that's the bar I would measure it by. <laughs> and I would go, oh, that's what, this was nowhere near as bad. And they'd be like, really? <laughs> you, 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 had, you had to have been there. But, but, and then a funny story, if I may, because the funny ones never translate, but hopefully this one will. I was doing a show, we did this show called, that I wrote many years ago called Welcome to Murder Mortuary. And I was playing this Boris Karloff doctor. So I was going around essentially doing Boris Karloff, but doing a Boris Karloff impression. And I would always walk up to people and say the same lines. And I would say, I was just released from prison on Tuesday. And they would always say, well, what did you, uh, why did you go to prison? And I would say, well, I was, I was, I was completely innocent of all charges. Uh, I was railroaded. I was, I, I was sentenced to supermax. <laughs> so I go up to this woman, and I do, I was just released from prison. Really? And I go, yes. And she's just kind of looking at me because I was in supermax. Oh, and I said, <laughs> I go, I was completely innocent of all charges. And she goes, yes. We had a, we had a friend that was sent to prison, and, and he was innocent. It was... Was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what am I supposed to say to this one? And I was like, it, "Yes, it sounds horrible." <laughs> so that's one of my favorite, you know, jokes on me stories. <laughs> like this. Do you do you find that the audience plays well with you? Like when you guys interact with the audience? Oh yeah. I mean, that's the that's you know again that's to me that's the payoff when you get these people that and it's usually the funnest stuff is in a the innocent stuff, where they're just playing along because they're good sports. If they're trying to be funny, 90% of the time that doesn't work. Right. But when it's, you know, just innocently, they don't, because, you know, they, I don't like to give away a lot of the tricks of the trade, but, you know, one of the, they say one of the greatest fears people have is public speaking. Mm -hmm. So, in the show, because you've seen the show, we get people up to read clues. And a lot of times, you know, I don't want to say ambushed in a bad, in a, in a bad way, but You'll just get them up, and they'll and they'll have no idea they're getting up to read a clue, right. and so they're nervous. And so usually, not because they're stupid, but usually because they're nervous, they they, they might mispronounce something, and then you go, you know, then you go on the attack. But it's it's but part of it is like just the law of averages, because like I said, people, you know, you're pl you're you're playing on the fact that most people don't want to get up in front of other people, and then on top of it, you're handing them something to read cold. Yeah, you know, and so. So there's a lot of little tricks that people don't realize. There are things that you go, oh, I can see how I can make that work. And then over <laughs> the years, you you fill up your bag with tricks. You know, sure. learning a, a lot of it. But yeah, that's. I mean, to me, that's the funnest part. We, you know, we just this past weekend there was a guy that was we made him a character. You know, he was supposed to be a, a jockey. It was an Irish thing, and he's supposed to be a jockey. And the guy was huge because I always pick somebody, you know, the biggest guy in the audience. Like and, a horse jockey? Yeah, he's supposed to be a horse <laughs> jockey. <laughs> and, the makes guy, it funny. and the guy's huge, so you got the sight gag. You just get the guy up, and he's huge. But then he just had this great personality, and he really wasn't trying. I don't. I don't think he was trying to be funny at all. He was playing along. You know, he wasn't. You know, he was playing along. He he thought it was fun, but he it was just funny as could be, and everyone you know because everyone knows it. So that yeah, any of the stuff where they, what's what I, what I like too about these. I don't really want to give away the tricks, but uh, they don't know what is made up right. or what joke I've told a billion a million times, you know. And that's part of the fun is they have. There was a joke we used to do. It just this this was another asked me a story. Certainly, I've done so many shows. After a while, nothing sticks out of my mind. But for about when I first started, for about ten years, there was this joke that they told over that I just hated the joke. And it was when somebody would vote at the end, and the vote would be stupid or whatever. This one actor would always go, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Boulder Police Department. And we'd do that show in, like, every show. And it would usually, you know, and I would just, like, God, I hate, you know, you hear a joke. And I'm sure I have jokes like that where people go, God, I hope he doesn't say the blah, blah, blah. You know, so, but I, for whatever reason, I hated that joke. But it was told by my best friend. In the show, the same guy at the bar, as a matter of fact, <laughs> the same exact guy. He was my, he doesn't, he, unfortunately, he, he stopped doing shows with us, but he was my favorite person to work with. Funny, his name's Mark, one of the funniest guys I ever worked with, but he would always tell that joke. I hated the joke, so we're, 
after a show, these women are coming. They come down the stairs, and they're laughing. They're, oh, God, that was the funniest show. And they came up, you guys are so funny. And uh, that Boulder Police Department, she goes to me, and I go, seriously? She's like, did he know? We're from Boulder. And I was like, no, he didn't. He tells that joke every single <laughs> show. But, they don't, but that's to magic. To me, that's what's magic. Sure. Is the fact they have no clue. Right. I hate this joke. I would kill, I want to kill the person who says it the next time. Audience has no idea. You know, they, they have no it. idea that somebody has been telling this same joke for 10 years yeah. in the same context. The, the, the flip side of that, that same guy who was extremely funny, will do something on a, a given night that he'll never do again, bring the house down, and nobody would know which is, nobody would know if, if he does that every show. So that, I love that. I mean, they have no idea. Because you know, some woman was trying to, you know, was sort of badgering me the other night to give out some of my secrets. I kind of gave one out because she was annoying me so much. <laughs> but, anyway, but it's like, they don't, they have no idea. They have no idea if I do this joke every show or if I just happen to do it because of this guy. Or, and then the other one, which I always like too, and Marvel will even do this, is where they think they have me at a, at a disadvantage. They thought, he really got you, didn't he? And it's like, no, because I'm playing. That's, you know, as soon as something happens at my expense, I go for it to make me look even more foolish. Right. To get people more laughs. laughs. Yeah. And people always say, oh, he got you, didn't he? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On average, how much of the show is scripted versus how much do you guys improv? It's probably, when we actually do the show on stage, when we get going the investigation, you know, it's, I mean, it could be 50-50, 60-40. We have a, see, because, you know, there are other, and I, you know, because, you know, you know there's other people that do this, other companies, and, um, you know, so every now and then you're reading there how great we are, blah, blah, blah. And there's this one place that says, the only totally improvised mystery show. And I think to myself, if that's true, it's probably the worst show you're ever going to go see. Because if I had to get up in front of an audience every night and ad-lib something new, yeah. 45 minutes of something new every night. I mean, Jonathan Winters probably didn't even really do that. And he would probably be the, you couldn't do it. And have it be good. Yeah. So we have a story. We have a script that we just go off of whenever we feel like it and jump back onto and then whatever happens to the audience. But, so, but what, that's what makes it is the made-up stuff. Yeah. I and mean, that's always what makes it. I mean, the, we, do have some, you know, we do have some stock set jokes that turn out to actually be funny. You know, eh, We write jokes and that, actually, that one's actually funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but a lot of it is just the, you know, just the going off of the... I, that's my favorite part is when it goes, and especially when it goes like, or when it goes off like in a, a bad way, you know, meaning like something gets really screwed up and the lines get screwed up and whatever, and we acknowledge that, they love it. Yeah. On the flip side, though, if you try to do that, meaning like you try to you try to force that, well, I guess you need to learn your line, and it's not real, they know it. If it's real, they it's it's interesting. I, I mean, I feel like. If we're screwing up and laughing about it or, or laughing at each other and it's real, it's the funny. It's like the, you know, the, people always compare it to the old Carol Burnett show mm-hmm. when Tim Conway used to always intentionally try, to, character, yeah. intentionally try to make Harvey Korman laugh. That was his goal, apparently, in life, and he was very successful. <laughs> and that was like, they loved that, you know. That's one of the things people always talk about, and they compare that. They say that about us a lot, you know. It reminds me of the Carol Burnett show. And when that's real, it is funniest thing in the world. When it's forced, when somebody on stage will try to force that, it just it just lays there. And you know, so the audience is smart. You know, they know, you know, there's gonna be people that come to this and go, you know, this was stupid. I didn't like it, whatever. It's you know, it's gonna happen. They're never gonna you, you know, appreciate it. <laughs> you know, it's gonna happen. But I mean the people that come here are the people that love come you know, because they come here a lot and that whole Carol Burnett thing or whatever that they love that. They love, you know, they see a lot of us on a regular basis, you know, and, and, and they'll know that if we're repeating jokes. But they like, you know, they like that, but they know the difference between, you know, if we're forcing it or if it's, if it's real. And when it's real and things are going off, it's just funny as can be. Yeah, I agree. The, the show I came to, like, you're so used to seeing theater as theater where there's a separation between the audience and even in a dinner theater, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that 
the show goes off the rails and then you guys as actors own like know that it's off the rails and you just kind of go with it mm-hmm. like that is the funniest thing for the audience I thought it was hilarious yeah. and you're okay to break character and like laugh about the hilarity of what's happening um, I thought that was really really a fun aspect of the show so I'm glad you guys do that and you yeah. yeah whenever there is something that goes on and there's a couple of people in particular if I can make laugh I'm just saying personally, but if 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 somebody's laughing and really, you know, like I broke up a, another actor or vice versa, and it's real. Again, the audience knows it. But there are times when there are certain actors that will force that, mm-hmm. try to act like, you know, and they will do it every night. I'm like, oh, you know, and it, and it, it doesn't get the laugh as the real, right. you know, the real going. Like I said, the real going off the rails. The audience, I think, the audience completely knows the difference. And it's fun, and we don't, and that's the thing because you know we've tried to. A lot of the things I do in the show, I don't. I'm not trying to repeat them, mm. you know, because there are other there are other people that will do the same joke every night, right. you know. And mine, you know, a lot of the stuff I do, I have a couple of things that, if an audience member says something, I have this response, and in in in, in and if I can get it in, it usually plays through the whole rest of the show. But if the audience member doesn't say it. I can't use the joke. Sure. You know. Sure. So that's what I like about it is I never, you know, are you going to do your blah, blah, blah tonight? And they go, I don't know. I never know if I'm going to do it. It depends on if the situation comes up where I can get it in. Right. You know, whereas, you know, some of those don't work, you know, it worked great last night because it, but you're, you're, for, you forced it in tonight. It didn't work. Yeah. And I like that. I mean, I, I like, I like the, when I say I like the, I like the fact that they're like this is, you know, as I, told you earlier on, got inspired by old movies and, and comedies. Over the years, it's been, I loved learning how to do comedy. That's always, I go in my Jerry Lewis, pontificating how Jerry Lewis is always gets very serious. But a lot of people, and I think some people here, I always feel like anybody can get a laugh. You know, I, I used to be a musician, and I see other musicians getting laughs in between songs. There's a difference between getting laughs and knowing how to do comedy. Right. And one of the things I like most about working here and doing this for so long is kind of learning all those rules of comedy, like, you know, the longer the setup takes, you know, the punchline's not going to work. And it's just like these weird rules of comedy that have probably, you know, gone on for hundreds of years that a lot of people that I work with on a regular basis don't know, you know. And it's like, Martin and I probably spend too much time talking about a show after it happens. And then when blah, 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 that was a good one. But then when so-and-so did, you know, we probably spend way too much time dissecting the shows afterwards, but we do that a lot. Which I think, in the, you know, helps down the road. But. About how many different shows do you put on throughout the year? Usually we'll do, we usually switch them out about every two months, so, you know, six, maybe six different titles a year we'll do. Do you uh, retire shows and then bring them back? Yeah, we have, you know, we do. I mean, kind of what we, you know, it's gotten to the point of we've got a lot now. And uh, like this year we're bringing back, well, the one we're doing right now, Irish Wake, we haven't done in a couple of years. We actually kind of just did a major rewrite on it yesterday. (laughs) But we brought that one back. uh, And that's been a couple of years since that one came back. And then this summer we're doing one that, I, well, two. I, we're doing two this summer that I really like, but one's a little newer. It's called the Bernice Murders. But then there's a show called Murder on the Harley, which is set in the fifties. So that one, that's been a couple of years since we did that one. So yeah, they'll you, they'll go through. You know, then we got one in the fall that we just did last year. So you know, but we've got quite a few different. It's kind of gotten to the point where we actually have a lot of shows. <laughs> I mean, when I start thinking about all of them through the years, as a matter of fact, one that I thought we were we did retire, we're bringing back this year for Christmas. It's right. called The Dickens of a Murder, and it's a Christmas show very, very loosely based on a Christmas carol. So loosely based on a Christmas carol, you shouldn't even say it's based on a Christmas <laughs> carol, but it has, a, it has a holiday theme to it. Sure. So we're bringing that one back, and that's probably been four years since we've done that one. And I always like, see, that's what I, that's another thing that I always like is because no matter how much I like the show, and I have my favorites, and I have my not-so-favorites, I don't have any that, like, I oh, I don't have any like I don't like, but I have my, you know. But even if it's my absolute favorite show, when we first start the show, I go, oh, God, this is great. I love it. By the end of the show, I'm always ready for the next show because it just don't, you know, it just runs its course. And, the, and that's what I, and I, that's what I say. I like it. Like, you know, this has been great two months. Now I'm ready to change. I'm ready to do something, something yeah. new. And, uh, and then because I try to, uh, 
you know, I have a different, uh, personally, uh, a lot of people do, not just me, but you have, you, you have a whole different batch of jokes, you, you know, like, oh, good, I can do these jokes. Because they, they, they only work in this they show. They don't apply to the other yeah, show. Yeah, well, they don't apply to the other show at all. And anybody who doesn't come up with stuff like that, I think, is crazy. Because it's like, have your murder on a Harley jokes and have your, you know, whatever show, you know, because, and then you've got, and, the, and also from for an audience standpoint, they're gonna, they're bound to hear some stuff. I mean, if they're repeat customers, they're bound to hear stuff they've heard before. But why make them hear everything you've heard before? Sure, know? sure. Give, give them a break. Do all the shows revolve around the murder mystery? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what, that's, that's I mean, that, that's pretty much right. what they come for. I mean, you know, whatever it was, when Marn, you know, how they, because she kind of, I don't want to say luck, it wasn't so much luck in, because that's not a good way to say it, but she kind of yeah. fell into it where she was booking entertainment, all kinds of entertainment back in the back in the old days, and she would get calls from clients and said, uh, do you have a murder mystery? She would hire murder mysteries, and it would go out, and, it, and usually, inevitably, it didn't go very well. So they, so Marn was in an improv troupe with one guy in particular. There were other people in it, but there's one guy named Doug, because he's still with us. He's been with Marn longer than I have. And a couple of other people, they came up with their own mystery, which was death for dinner. And then they sort of, it sort of evolved. You know, it started off probably, the, it was probably terrible. But they, no, you know, I mean, it, it, within reason. You know, but they, they came up with this way where it worked. Sure. This formula. She calls it a formula. I don't think there's anything wrong with calling it a formula. That worked, you know. So we stick to that original formula to a degree because some of the things about that original formula don't work as well as it used to. But kind of that, and then come up with new stories. So it has the, the same, the same, you know, the, the evening unfolds the same way where, the, you know, you meet the actors environmentally, cocktail hour or whatever, have dinner, opening scene, oh my God, someone's murdered. Detective shows up, leads the audience in the investigation. And it's a great format. It works great. Why? You know, that's kind of the thing over the years is, you know, there's, to me there's a difference between having the same format and having the same jokes. If anything should be retired, it should be some jokes. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you, well, that, thank God the Boulder Police Department finally went away after 15 years of hearing that joke. <laughs> but anyway, but I mean, that's, but, uh, I think I got off track a little bit, but that's what sells. I mean, it's always been this thing where people are just, oh, you know, and there, it is kind of this, oh, I've heard of those mysteries. They don't know what it is. You know, they have no idea. They don't know what to expect. Yeah. And they just like, I don't know, there's just something about, and I don't know why, because of the whole Im- the whole improvised show. Because that's, in a sense, of what it is. Because, you know, and when I say, you know, it's not 100% improvised, but it's a show that has a lot of improvisation in it. For whatever reason, a murder mystery works best. Sure. I mean, if you came up with a, let's do, you know, Macbeth, but... 50% of it will be improvised. The mystery, I don't know, there's some weird hook to the mystery. People are fascinated by it. It works. The audience and, is sitting there trying to figure out yeah. the whodunit part yeah, of it. And there's, well, that's the thing to me. What I like, what I like, what I try to do, which sometimes I don't think we're as successful as I wish we were every night, was I do still want it to be a story, script, that we put some thought into. Not just, oh, well, we can go out and make stuff up and they won't know the difference. And it's like, yeah, but, I, you know, there are people that are like, that actually don't know they're coming to a show that's going to be 50% improvised. Maybe there are people that think they're coming to solve a murder, so maybe we should try to put a little thought in these shows <laughs> so there's something to solve, you know? Right. But I, for whatever reason, you know, and I, it's funny how the one time I was right, as opposed to the million times Marn's been right, is, <laughs> is many years ago we were some office because we've had about three offices till we ended up here and we because I'd you know done so much other theater where you'd be playing to these empty houses you know 12 people oh my god you know and you're doing it for the love of theater and whatever well we're always playing to you know good I mean we're usually playing to 120 people you know every night not always but we're always and you know and getting paid and so when I was a younger actor you know you literally you do shows for, for nobody and wouldn't get paid because you're an actor and you're doing it because you love it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with getting paid because I always wanted to be a professional actor. And what makes me a pro- you know, professional actor is getting paid. Sure. <laughs> so I'm not ashamed of it, and I, I like it. I, I'm, I'm proud of it. But my point is, I said to Marn, I, I said, I've done a lot of theater, and I've never, I've never been involved with anything that got this kind of consistently good houses. 
I said, you better, I hope nobody else figures out how successful, and then the next thing you know, they start popping up, but, but it's some weird formula. I don't know, and I don't know what it is. And, well, and the flip side of it, the negative side of it, and I say not negative from perception, there was a guy who used to be a critic at the Rocky Mountain News den, slash Denver Post, and he came and saw a show, and he kind of gave it a, I don't know, backhanded review. He even said in the show, it's not real theater, but who cares? And I'm like going, well, how, how can you say that? We're getting up and performing in front of people live. Why, why are we not theater? Mm -hmm. Because we don't meet your expectation of dinner. I mean, it's like, what are they doing at a Boulder Dinner Theater? Unsinkable Molly Brown, that's legitimate theater, and we're a bunch of idiots. So that rubbed me the wrong way. And then he would call, and he just couldn't figure out. I mean, he was serious about this. Could not figure out why people liked this. <laughs> Explain it to me. And I was like, my answer to him was, because they're fun. They're enjoyable to watch. People enjoy them. Why do we have... What is so hard to figure out? Wow, well, I don't understand why people come to these. Because they're fun. Yeah. Because <laughs> they laugh for... A lot of times they laugh, you know, a lot. Yeah, we talked about the show for days afterward. You I know, mean, it's and, hilarious. And then fun. a lot of times, you know, you end up making... And, I, you know, I think making fun is the way of saying it. You know, you make references to an audience member. You give them a nickname, and then that's their nickname at the audience or at the office or for the next whatever. Everybody calls them that or whatever. Yeah. You know, and they love that. And so, so to me, it's like, what is, what is, what is so hard to, 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 to grasp? It's just a fun thing to do. People enjoy them. Yeah. You know, we enjoy, do, we enjoy doing them. We being the performers, I think I, I know the audience realizes that, and it's just a fun thing to do. It doesn't, ha you know, not everything about theater has to be some kind of artistic statement. I mean, it can I be think. Fun. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's great. You know, I, I I've made reference two times to to a, an independent film I made, and that was supposed to be an artistic statement. You know, it was a serious. Black and white, it was all, you know, and I loved it. I mean, I, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Right. But that's not what this is. This is something completely different. Why is this not, why is this not as legitimate as my, you know, because when I made that, you know, independent films were all the rage. Everyone was, ooh, independent, you know, and everybody talked like that. Well, it's an independent, you know, they would be so pompous about it, you know, and take themselves very seriously. And or when he wrote that review, it's not real theater. I was just like, well, you know what does that even mean? I mean, why why are you know why are we not legitimate? I don't understand that. We're up entertaining. I mean, that's what you know from the whenever theater started or any kind of you know we're entertaining people. There yeah. people are going to the theater. You know that's why the oldest thing that you know when movies you know they made tons of money during the depression was because it was the depression and people were depressed and that's the way they went to the movies to make them feel better. Yeah. And so they come here and they laugh and have a good time. Make sure everyone knows it's not real theater. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd never get that. I've never gotten that. Let's dive a little deeper. You've done a lot of things, the movies and, mm -hmm. and other theater and this theater. How has being an artist affected other areas of your life, your personal life or... Now, obviously, your business life because it's tied to it. But yeah. how, how has being an artist affected other areas of your life? You know, I've always been, and I know I'm, I would say I'm probably not the norm. To me, it's like church and state. When I'm doing this or making my movie or whatever, and I'm being an artist, I am. But if I'm at home, I'm, you know, I'm just the guy at home that my wife doesn't find funny. <laughs> you know, so I've always been, I've always been able to, you know, it, it, I, I think the way it's separated is the fact that I have kind of the best of both, both worlds. You know, I have a, I have a good personal life with uh, family and, and I have friends, but I have a job. I have this creative outlet that I get to do all the time. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I think, you know, because you always talk about, I hate my job and, you know, people, you can list the jobs that people, you know, they, they need a job and they're doing it and they're not happy and they wish they were doing this. To me, that's one of the things is, is being able to do this, especially here. But the last, you know, 18, 20 years here, what's been great about it is I, I've been able to do this and pay my bills. It's not like, it's not like I have to, you know, because when I, you know, like every other actor, when I, before, I had to work at the restaurant and then hopefully get a part in the play, you know, wait tables and stuff. Well, I don't have to do that anymore, yeah. you know. I mean, I've got, a, I've got a job here and responsibilities here, but I can be able to separate it easily. And so when I'm on stage, I'm on stage. And, and 
always having wanted to be an actor, it's just like the greatest thing in the world. I mean, it's like not, you know, as opposed to, well, I, I'm out of work for, you know, I, I, there'd be times when I'd do like two shows a year. Yeah. So I'd get to be creative for two months, and the rest of the year be miserable, you know. So I get to do this. I get to, Every weekend I get to come out and do this and, and go home. And so you know, I was saying earlier on, I made the comment about how Marn lucked into the kind of, the theater, the, the mysteries. I lucked. This is I'm the one that actually lucked into this. I mean, I was I was probably 18 years ago like that stupid critic. Oh, these are <laughs> these are beneath me. This How dare you? <laughs> and now I'm just like this is great. I mean, it just I, 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 the other night this was I always like when this happens. There's a I shouldn't mention this, but it's a bar where they serve alcohol <laughs> down at the end of my street. And when I go into a bar, nobody you know I'm like. I'm like the quietest, most timid man in the world. I'm not like, you know, other bar people. I just sit and I have a beer or several. <laughs> and then I go home. So there's this bartender who waits on me. And, my, and a lot of times my son will go and have dinner there. And anyway, she came to the show the other night. And I always loved that because she was like blown away. She was like, you know, because when I get on stage, I turn it on. Right. When I'm off stage, I'm like, God, that <laughs> that guy's unpleasant. That guy's boring. Whatever. When I'm on stage, I turn it on because that's my job. Right. And so it's just funny because I could just tell she was like, "Oh my god, I had no idea." Yeah, she didn't of all the things, the, you know, she probably thought I was like an accountant or, you know, worked in a factory or whatever. And I love that. I mean, I love it when they're like, "My god, I had no idea you did this." And I was like, "Well, of course, you know." <laughs> so, but that's. I mean, I think. I mean, I hope. Hopefully, that answers your question. But I mean. And I, just to be completely repetitive, as I always am, it's, uh, you know, the fact that I, I mean, I'm not somebody who wants to be an, wants to be an actor. I, I, I'd love someday to be able to be in a show or write a show, you know, dream of that. I'm doing it, I'm doing it every day. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I love writing the shows. I mean, I absolutely, that's my, always fancied myself Orson Welles. Writer, director, actor, next to Orson Welles. We always, we all do. But, you know, I'm the Orson Welles of the mystery dinner. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what piece of advice would you give to someone who is starting out in, as an actor, or whether it's this kind of acting or, or regular stage acting? Well, you know, and this is advice I didn't follow. So if you don't follow it, I wouldn't be surprised because I didn't either. But work, meaning, you know, I, when I started off, I knew everything. And I'd go in the director, I'd get into a fight with the director, and walk out after a few choice words or whatever but there's nothing you, there's nothing better than experience no, nothing I mean just if you if you do 10 years of what you think are the worst shows for the worst directors or whatever you, and 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 you're good or you or, or you have you have ability you you'll learn from it mm-hmm. but there's nothing there's nothing better than doing it than working just saying oh I wouldn't be interested in that that's been you know, I mean, if you're, you know, if you've made it, if you're Marlon Brando and not dead, <laughs> you know, you pick and choose. But I mean, now if you're up, just do it. I mean, and, and try to do everything. Meaning, and by that meaning, you know, if you, because I, I did Shakespeare and I, and I never liked Shakespeare. I still don't love Shakespeare, but I learned a lot doing Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, just like invaluable experience. I was in a classical company for like three years. So that was like three years of, you know, something I didn't really like. And I learned so much from it. So that's what I, you know, and then, you know, if you are serious about it, because there's, you know, there's different levels. I'm not, you know, because I did, I fancied myself I was going to be the next whatever. Well, I, you know, I spent a little time in California, and, you know. So if you're, you know, if you, if you have the, the I don't want to say delusions of grandeur, but the dreams of grandeur, you're going to have to go to New York or you're going to have to go to L.A. and whatever. But if you just, you know, you can get somewhere acting, uh, here and a lot of other places, but we get young performers in here sometimes that do this, I think, and I did this. I'm not knocking them because I did the exact same thing. Putting the cart before the horse. It's like, learn what you're doing mm-hmm. before you start telling people their plays are crap and they don't, you know, and you're going to be the next whatever. Because we get people coming in here all the time. There's a guy, I don't know if he was there the night you were there, but there's a guy, you know, one of the worst things for a lot of people in the town was when Heritage Square closed. They were up there for 40 years, mm-hmm. and one of the actors up there was very popular with this state. <laughs> His name is Alex Crawford. And they shut down after 40 years. Well, he gave Marnikal. Well, now he's with us. 
So we got this guy, and I love him to death, just the greatest guy in the world. But he's been doing this for 40 years. And we get younger performers that come in and act like, you know, he's this, I don't know, and I'm like, oh, man, this guy, this guy's been doing this for 40 years. You know, you could learn from this guy. And so that would be, you know, work, listen. You know, I mean, if you see people that, of any age, really, but appear to know what they're doing, pay attention to that. <laughs> because yeah. to me, there's a difference between making it and, you know, being, you know, because, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I feel like within the context of my age and my life, I, 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 I make a good living doing this. I'm happy doing this, you know. I'm not, I don't have a TV show. <laughs> I didn't make it to, you know, superstardom. But um, uh, I like what I'm doing. But I, I got to a point where I'm pretty good at it because of all those years of, you know, of, of learning uh, from other people. And, and I mean, I, what I regret the most is wasting the younger years being a pain in the ass and not listening to people more. And Isn't that part of it, though? You kind of have to be a little bit... You have to, I do. Compass a, yeah. And to get yourself knocked down a few rungs to yeah. then realize... Yeah, that. but hope... Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. I, I guess my advice to these young people would be don't wait as long as I did before. Why is see? I let that go for a while. We're talking <laughs> twenty years of knowing more than everybody else. Whether or not you listen to old sage advice or not, I do think the the best thing is experience. You know, is just you do your four years of learning whatever college, and and then you get out there, and you you know just work. Just get if you get something, keep working, and before you know it, you'll know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Who are three artists or actors or three people that? inspire you that well, kind of help to form your career throughout the years? I mentioned Groucho Marx for sure. My favorite, which I, you know, it just, and I, mean, I feel like I've been inspired by him, and I, and, I, and I think I've used it in some ways. John, the director, John Ford, he was always my greatest film director that ever lived, and he was a big, big influence. And then, oddly enough, the third would be a, probably a tie between Don Knotts and Peter Sellers. <laughs> Because, you know, because now, I mean, there's sort of a difference between me, me now and me then. Sure. But for what I do now and what I feel like I know I'm good at, you know, the comedy is just like I just, is where, is where, is where the, you know, the, the influences have been the strongest. You know, and those are like people I don't know, because there are a couple of people, there's a guy that used to work here who actually in the mysteries, really, without even knowing it, I don't know where he is now, he might be in Florida, his name is Jeff Harms, he's a stand-up comedian. But he was doing, so I started doing these, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And he thought I was funny, but he was the t detective, and I watched him. And I went, one night, I li literally, this is not a, a made-up story, I went like, oh, I get it. <laughs> watching him work. Right. You know, watching the way he did, because I saw a couple of other people do the detective, but I didn't like the way they did it. Because the detective's kind of like the MC for the evening. Mm -hmm. for one. It's not like the lead because people get off on that a lot. But it's kind of like the guy who, you know, emcees the evening, keeps the thing flowing. Keeps the flow, yeah. He might not necessarily be the funniest. He might be. It doesn't really make any difference. But he is kind of in charge of keeping the thing moving. And also, because sometimes it'll turn into a little bit of a war where people play off. But so, so just like sort of guy I actually knew and worked with, Jeff Harms was a great, great teacher for me. I mean, I was just like, well, you know. I mean, and it's always nice where you work with, you know, you actually... Physically, you know, you actually literally worked with the guy, know him personally. You were friends with him, and go, you know, that guy really taught me a lot. Yeah, you know, that's because yeah. usually it's like Groucho Marx. I never knew Groucho Marx for crying out loud, you know. But it's nice to actually work with people that you have a lot of respect for. Sure. The guy I was telling you about that was sitting at the bar that one in the middle of the show. His name's Mark Corrigan. He's another one that you know. I, you know, Alex Crawford, the guy I mentioned. You know, I have a couple. I, I love working with Marn. Marn's Marn has a lot of. Uh, you know, influence on what's happened to me over these last few years. You know, there's a couple of other, uh, you know, so it's not, you know, because my wife always says, aren't there any women? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are women as well. I work for, I, I've been working for the same woman for 18 years. But anyway, so those are, so those are some of my inspirations. I say, I feel like I'm talking way too much. <laughs> no, no, you're, no, you're great. You're great. Why do you think we should care about art? Well, I mean, again, I think it goes back to the depression statement. I just think people, you know, there's so much in this world, you know, politics, economy, freaking car breaks down. You know, I think everybody has their own, uh, be it music or theater or, 
You know, I meet people all, you know, I'm sure you do too, you meet people all the time that you, you know, you're sitting and talking to, and they wouldn't look like it. They look like a truck driver or whatever, and then you find out they love, I remember this one guy I was talking to one time, he was talking about, I love opera, and I just was looking at him and going, of all things, you love opera. But I mean, we all, you know, I think that, I think that's what, we all, we all have that, we all need that. You know, books, you know, that's art. I mean, you know, you know, people that love to read, I mean, I just think without any of that, people who, and I'm sure there are people that couldn't give, couldn't care less, have no, if you ask them, well, what is, what is your creative, you know, they, you know, they have, they wouldn't have that kind of, but I think most people do, something, they love something, you know, maybe they, you know, they like, love the museum, and so I, I just think that gives, that just gives you a part of your life that t takes you away from all of the, 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 the not beautiful parts of the world, you know, because I mean, you escaped, I, you know, I like, I have different types of music I like to listen to, and there's nothing better than putting the headphones on and floating off into the <laughs> fantasy world of, you know, just that, sure. that music, yeah. what that, what you're getting out of that, you know, because everybody, I was, you know, I always love talking to people about, uh, I really like Irish music, and I would talk to different people who would have a different interpretation of the song, mm -hmm. you know. I think most of us, if, if we had a choice, that's what we'd spend most of our life doing, as opposed to. I'm, I'm, there are some that I'm sure would just as soon be business people and make money, and, yeah. and that's and that's where they're fulfilled. But I think a lot of you know, I think we all need that. I think we all need that part of our life. I think so too. I think that, so too. That makes us. You talked earlier. I asked you about like advice that you'd have. It's kind of, I guess, maybe the follow up on that. What do you think holds most? Uh, people back from becoming a professional, whether it's a professional actor or a professional painter or singer? Well, I, I think, you know, there's a, in this, there's, a lot of people tell you this is, uh, you know, there's an element of luck to it, but it's drive. I mean, one thing, I, the thing about Marv, there's a reason, there's several reasons this business is successful. But beyond that, why Marn is successful is, is that she has the drive to be successful. She doesn't have, you know, because I would have to say that this is probably one of the things I lack. Because especially doing this for most of your career, until you make it somewhere, you're going to have people tell you, you're, you know, they're not necessarily going to insult you, but they might say, no, you're not what we're looking for. You're not right for I mean, I used to go to, used to, go to auditions and not get the part and get mad. And, but I think it, it didn't... I didn't keep going with it, you know. That's why I say the thing with, you know, when I say things about Marn, like, uh, she said, we're going to do shows every weekend. I said, you're crazy. And she, she means it. I'm going to do shows every weekend. And sure enough, we're doing shows every weekend. That drive is, I mean, I think if you look at, like, really successful, you know, and then, then again, you know, there's some really successful, quote-unquote, actors that, in my opinion, are terrible actors, mm -hmm. or not actors that I have any respect for. I don't like or filmmakers or whatever. But that drive to be successful is, you know, is what is, 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 I think, is what makes most of, most people that we know of as successful, makes them that. Because it's, you know, I mean, even here, you know, I shouldn't say even here, because that kind of makes this, it sound dismissive. But I mean, you know, there are people here that would love, and I don't mean this in a cruel way, would love to see me fall down the stairs and <laughs> break my leg and they could come in and take my part. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a competitive, you know, it's a very competitive, you know, thing that it, sure. you know, because that was one, when I was playing music, that's where, that was one of my biggest downfalls. I would get this gig and I would feel like, well, this is my gig. This is great. They're loving me. Well, then somebody else would come in and go, well, I think I'll try to get that gig. And then they would get the gig and i go, what are you doing giving him my gig? <laughs> and right. it would be, you know, well, they're coming after it, you know. So that's, that's, you know, that is a big, I mean, you have to be real. You see, and I think there are artists, you know, even in this day and age that are happy being artists, meaning the monetary success is not, it doesn't, it literally means nothing to them. Mm -hmm. However, but then you're kind of back to what I was saying before, where you're doing plays at night for free and working as a waiter. I mean, I, you know, from like saying firsthand, it's, it's, it's unfulfilling. It's nice to be able to, for me, it's nice to be able to do what I love, and this is, and I'm getting paid for it. This right. is, I'm supporting. So I think uh, for people, who, whether they're a musician or a writer, I think everybody 
I shouldn't say everybody. It was majority people that are doing that want to. This is what the, that's what they want to do for their career, sure. their sure. life. Sure. And in order for them to do, they have to make money doing that to support themselves. So this is where their, their money's coming from, and that's where the drive comes. Because if you don't have that serious drive to, not necessarily cutthroat, meaning you know I'll I'll walk over anyone to get what I want, but you've got to you've got to be you have to be driven. Right. And I, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm I mean I think about this all the time when I talk to Marlon in the business and. You know, we get along great, but every now and then we have our disagreements. But in the, you know, at the end of the day, she's the one that owns this place, and there's a reason she owns this place, and there's a reason I don't own it. Yeah. She put the work into it, and it paid off, and she won't stop. All right, if you, if you had like 60 seconds with your 20-year-old self, knowing what you know now, what kind of advice would you give to him? I don't know. I think I'd hate him so much <laughs> that I, I couldn't have a, I couldn't have a conversation with him. I don't know. I mean, I, I I you know I think part of it would be you know work harder. Don't 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 get mad. Don't get so mad. Don't get so mad over things that aren't that important and work harder. Because mm. I didn't, I was pretty lazy. I mean, that's what, so I was getting back to the drive, the driven. I was, you know, in, in, in addition to, you know, thinking I knew everything, I was pretty lazy. God, I looked back and God, was I lazy. <laughs> surprised that, surprised I got anything done. I'm still not, I'm still a little lazy, you know, it's not like I've changed that much, but anyway. Do you think he would have listened to that advice? I don't know. You know, the thing is, I, which I think you could say this about everybody. There's certain people I would have listened to, you know. Unfortunately, the people it seems to me like the people that I would have listened to never really gave, you know, never really. Like if I if I like respected that person, they probably wouldn't you know. So I I do think part of it is where it comes from and how it's delivered, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know. That's a hard question to answer. I mean, now what I've I've done over the years. It's like if something comes in and it's like, oh, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. I'm gonna, well, I don't say anything till the next day because then by the next day I'm not mad. Give yourself some time. <laughs> I'm to... not re- and then I go, well, maybe that's not such a bad idea. But, you know, I mean, that's something that's just just pretend like you're not mad and wait a day. <laughs> that's like the greatest advice in the world. That actually is, I think, really sound advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give it some time. Mm-hmm. Let yourself cool off. So finally, with Adam's Mystery Playhouse, what are you guys working on this year that you're really excited about? Well, I can't divulge too much, but this business has gone crazy. And I mean this specifically, Adam's Mystery Playhouse. But so is the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so consequently, with the neighborhood growing, one of our biggest issues is parking. And so, you know, they're looking at ways of expanding. um, Because like, for instance, on... This Saturday night's a prime example. We've just got people begging for tickets, and we can't get them in. We have two shows going. We have a show in this room, in the downstairs room, for the for your listeners, and on the main floor. Uh, and it's packed. We can't get anyone else in. And so she, so Marin and Carlos are working on some, uh, I shouldn't divulge too much, but they're working on some plans for the building, which could be very exciting. You know, part of it, I think, it's, it's, not, it's just a matter of we're still growing. You know, I mean, that's that. That's to me the test of. I'm, I'm not. I'm far from the greatest businessman in the world, but the greatest test to the, the the fact that I know this business is doing well is because it didn't get to the point of where it took the dip and started going back. I mean, you know, we do kids shows in the summer, which are the bane of my existence. Oh my God, we're probably going to do twice as many as we did last year, and we did a lot last year. You know, and so part of I think is just we're we're now we've I think we've hit the hit hit the stride. We haven't peaked yet at all, and so the so as from the exciting standpoint is what are we going to do about it? I mean, we've got to keep up with this. We don't want we want to take advantage of this. You know, we want to be able to yeah. meet the demand, and, and we want the shows to still be good. And you know, we're you know bringing in the younger performers. We want them to be good. So it's I mean, the exciting is just the fact that man, we're doing pretty good right now. <laughs> you know, if we're if I heard anyone, you know. Within the inner circle, complain. I, I I would have to take exception to them because it's like we don't have a lot to complain about right now. I mean, we complain about the fact we're here all the time. That's about the we we'd sure like to spend a little complain time. about that we'd, success. We'd like to spend a little time away from here. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, Marn's the the glass is, is half full. I'm the glass is half empty guy. You know, I I would have never thought it was going to take off like this. I mean, it just it's just the difference between the day 
first day we walked through here and the kind of shows we were doing at that time, the audiences we were playing to. And because 10 years is not a long time, I mean, it's not a short time, but it's not a long time, but in 10 years, my God, this thing took off. Like, and the, But again, going back, that was, you know, Marn put 20 years into it before that, before it got to this point. So it's not like dues were not paid to get here. Sure, sure. And I think that's what a lot of people, uh, we as an audience in any aspect of life see from the outside, whether it's a musician or a theater or whatever, is you see this, you don't see the 20 years or whatever that's been put in beforehand, this mm -hmm. blood, sweat, and tears. We see the payoff mm -hmm. of when the success happens, and it's like, wow, that was really easy for them. And what's interesting, too, is when you, you know, and of course, there's, there's, there's always different stories. But, you know, you'll hear actors or directors or whatever being interviewed and talking about their, you know, whatever was the breakthrough thing they did. Mm -hmm. all, you know, what they did before that. You, you, just the number of times, you know, not so much anymore, but when I was younger, I'd go, I didn't realize it took that guy 15 years before he got that part or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. You yeah. thought that it was like, you know, but it's, it's pretty common, you know. You know. And so I, I always am fascinated when, you know, you meet somebody and they start telling you, what they did prior to this, you kind of go, wow, impressive. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Any last uh, piece of words or anything you want to say to wrap up? Well, I, I think, I thanks for having me. I wasn't. I got to be honest. I wasn't necessarily looking forward to this because I don't ever think I'm very good at these kind of things. But I quite enjoyed myself. So good, thanks, good. Thanks for thanks for inviting me in the the playhouse because this was a lot of fun. Enjoy. Sure, sure, and. You can find the the Adams Mystery Playhouse online at that's that's the whole dot com. It's, it's got to be the we we made the hugest biggest mistake ever. But yes, AdamsMysteryPlayhouse.com, and that'll give you a schedule how to get tickets. We're here every Friday and Saturday for sure, plus a lot of other Thursday nights and on demand holiday parties. So come visit us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick Weida, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. All right, we have a very special offer from the Playhouse exclusively for listeners of the podcast. They're offering 25% off a pair of tickets for any show other than Saturday night shows. Again, that's 25% off any pair of tickets for a show other than Saturday night. So just go to adamsmysteryplayhouse.com and click on buy tickets. It'll bring up their calendar. They've got all kinds of shows almost every night of the week. They have uh, a murder mystery happening at the Adams Mystery Playhouse. So this offer is available through the box office, so you will have to call. And when you call, just say you heard the podcast. You heard them on the Crave Podcast, and they will give you 25% off a pair of tickets. So that number is 303-455-1848. Again, that's 303-455-1848. And to see their schedule, go to adamsmysteryplayhouse.com. Thank you for listening to the Crave Magazine Podcast. I am Jim Wills, your host and producer for this episode, and I am on a mission to bring art back to the world. And with your help, we can make that happen. So please, take a moment to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. And if you like what you heard, even more importantly, tell your friends. If there's something that we can do better, by all means, let us know. And if you are an artist or even just want to hear from a favorite artist, well, send us a message. We are putting this show out for all of us who love and appreciate the arts, so tell us how we can improve. Remember... Always be good to one another, and of course, take time to feed your soul with art. <laughs>